Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is something to be concerned about. We're going to have a conversation here about surgery in our country. And we, we've talked a lot about how we know that wait times can be far too long for many, many instances. Uh, we're going to focus primarily here on kids. And kids are waiting far too long to have surgery in this country. Let's go through it. We're going to chat with Emily Grunwald, who is the president and chief executive of the Children's Healthcare Canada, executive director of the Pediatric Chairs of Canada. Emily, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate your time today. Good morning. No problem. Yeah, so taking a look at this, we're looking at like about half of the kids who need surgery in Canada are waiting longer than recommended. Half? Really? Is it that high? Yeah, that's right. So at this point, if we look across Canada's 13 children's hospitals, um, 49.8% are showing that children are waiting beyond window, recommended window um, for treatment, surgical interventions. And this is up quite significantly over the last two years. So pre-pandemic, that number was less than a quarter of children would be waiting longer than recommended. And now we've seen that number uh, over double. Wow, unreal. And we're talking about, in some cases, some pretty urgent conditions. It's, I mean, obviously, they're not immediate emergency surgeries, but in some cases, they're pretty close. Like, they're urgent situations, right? Yeah, that's right. So the most critically ill children are absolutely receiving the, the care that they right. need and the time that's required. But other elective but still essential services are um, bearing the brunt of, of a number of related impacts. So we're seeing emergency departments across the country of our children's hospitals 30 to 50 percent higher in volume. So whether those children are um, presenting with a seasonal virus, with some mental health concerns or, or trauma from a car accident or otherwise, um, the, the impact of that volume of patients is that uh, we need to admit the most critically ill children. And at this point, we're admitting those children without bed, which means there isn't capacity in the hospital um, to care for those children immediately. And what we do to create that capacity is we schedule, reschedule those essential surgical interventions. So it's right. those kids that are, that are paying the price, and, and they are now waiting much longer than they ought to, and in some cases, over a year. Yikes. And you talk about paying the price. And you, I mean, obviously, in some cases, it's going to be pain. It's going to be discomfort. But I imagine with kids, especially, you're talking about all kinds of things like development, impact on families. I mean, the fallout from this, I imagine, could be huge, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as children wait, um, their their condition might be worsening. Um, you know, they might be experiencing discomfort or pain. Their treatment might or their intervention might be more complicated. Um, and their outcomes might not be as uh, positive as they might be had they been treated in window. And to your point, you know, when a child is ill, um, it really has a huge impact on the entire family. So we really need to think about those system supports that need to be in place for that child. And the other piece, too, is to think about not only the health outcomes that are suffering, but if you're waiting for surgery, if you're waiting in discomfort or pain, it's really difficult to stay focused in a classroom. It's really difficult yeah. to want to have a play date with your friends or to participate in extracurricular activities. So it really has far-reaching impacts on not only the child, but also their family. Yeah, and I think you're right, and especially when you're talking about like some of them in terms of development and early intervention and getting some of these issues addressed very young, uh, it'll pay off down the road a million different ways. 
Yeah, we call that uh, we call that pedianomics in children's health. So, what is the the impact of intervening on time and early in a children's uh, life versus what the impact is later? So, okay. looking at health systems utilization, or looking at you know how how does that um, little human grow up to be a big human, and what are their opportunities uh, to work successfully, to have a family, etc. And so, there really is a strong economic argument as well as a moral imperative um, to make sure that we have the resources in our children's health system that we need. So can we put a finger on why we're so backed up? I know the pandemic, we know the healthcare system right across the country is just uh, under all kinds of pressure. In this specific instance, uh, why are we seeing such a backlog? It's a bit of a perfect storm, right? So we have, like I said, just seasonal flus and viruses that are circulating. We've had um, persistent concerns around children's mental health over the course of the pandemic, and many of those children without a primary care provider in their community showing up in an emergency department. Um, the, the typical traumas that children tend to um, encounter over the course of their, their days and weeks, um, all at a time when our health systems are really stretched to their capacity. So we don't have sufficient, highly specialized healthcare providers in the numbers that we need in our health system right now. And so we're, we're dealing with high volumes and a shortage of, of workforce um, to care for these kids. And, and the, our frontline healthcare providers who are just so passionate about caring for children are, are being stretched to their limits as well in terms of their ability to deliver services. Um, so what's the fix? What, do you, what would your group or the groups that you're involved in, what are you calling for? So a number of children's health stakeholders across the country are calling on the federal government to make kids a priority. So let's develop a pan-Canadian strategy for children and youth health in this country that sets some very clear targets and metrics for where we hope to be. Um, Your listeners might be surprised to learn that right now, Canada's children rank 30th out of 38 international countries with respect to their physical health and 31st out of 38 countries with their mental health. I think we can all agree that that's not good enough. And a wealthy country like Canada, we ought to have better outcomes for our children. So we're really looking at the federal government um, to play a leadership role and to say, you know what, we can and must do better. It's going to take an all-hands-on-deck commitment, but this is our future. And so that pan-Canadian plan to look at not only healthier beginnings for our moms and babies, but also how do we improve medicine and precision health for children, the sickest children who are hospitalized, but also those who are suffering from disabilities or chronic diseases. Um, how do we make sure that they can, they can thrive in their own way? Yeah, and it's such, it should be such a priority. It seems obvious. Um, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you. That is Emily Grunewald, who is the president and chief executive of Children's Healthcare Canada and the executive director of Pediatric Chairs of Canada. And, uh, yeah, that's concerning when you're talking about 50% of um, surgeries for children in our country are happening outside of the recommended window. So, in other words, doctors say, okay, if this is what we're dealing with, this is the timeline that we should have this addressed by. Anything beyond that is going to be even more detrimental. And we're not hitting that target 50% of the time. Not good. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. 
<laughs> For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.